Up next is Safe Space. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a show devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, or ashamed. This month, we've been exploring the topic of homophobia, and tonight, the topic is on the freedom to marry in Maine. My guest is Darlene Huntress. She's the field director of the Maine Freedom to Marry campaign. She happens to be an eighth-generation Mainer. With a background in running restaurants, she actually ran the Crickets restaurant in Freeport before she took on this political campaign here in Maine. Welcome to Safe Space, Darlene. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah, glad to hear you. Uh, glad to have you. I want to ask you, um, how? tell me the story of how you got <laughs> to doing this from what you hmm, used to do. That's interesting. Uh, you know, I, was, um, I, was a, I wanted to be a writer. And that was my sort of dream. And so I spent a lot of time doing that in the restaurant business. I kind of fell in love with it because I could earn money and have a lot of, t a lot of time to write. And I, my best friend, one of my best friends, owned a restaurant in Freeport, Crickets, that she did not want to run. She just wanted to own. So I think about in 19, it's probably like 1990, I said, sure, I'll run the business for you. And did that for um, like 13 years uh -huh, wow. and had like that, you know, that moment, that, ep that epiphany one day that I don't think I'm supposed to be counting sweet and low packets for the rest of my life. And uh, right. so I volunteered for the Maine Lesbian Gay Political Alliance, which was the name of Equality Maine um, before they changed and just got immersed in it, went to a, 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 a national gay lesbian task uh, National Gay Lesbian um, Task Force Power Summit in Boston, Massachusetts in 2004, where they just sort of train you to go out, knock on doors, talk to people about being gay and what that's like. And the first door that I knocked on was in like Roxbury mm -hmm. in, a, in a housing project and got completely empowered from having that conversation with someone. And so that your was, first conversation went well. Yeah, it went really well, believe it or not. It was like, I was one of the lucky ones. But yeah, yeah and from there, it just sort of became, this is what I'm supposed to do. And what do you think with that first conversation, what do you think it was that you, that about you or about what you said that helped that person be open to you? Well, you know what? I came out in the in the 80s when it was not okay to talk about it to to not even to people that you knew never mind you know perfect strangers and so to be able to knock on the door of a stranger and identify myself as a gay person who really wanted to have all the same rights and protections as as everyone else and to be able to have that face-to-face -face conversation uh, with somebody who probably had never thought about it before in their life and they were just sort of standing there going you know, who is this person? <laughs> right. Who is this bizarre woman standing at the door shaking in her shoes? Yeah, right. Really you nervous. You think they saw that you were shaking? I know. I, I believe I told them. I'm like, okay, so this is it for <laughs> me. This is the first ever. And it just, you know, I think that's that's what, what we know for sure is that when we have these kind of, when people can identify with someone else, they have a much better chance of really listening. And so when you're face-to-face -face talking to someone about being gay, the, you know, the, it just sort of opens up the conversation a lot more and their ability to listen is really enhanced by the fact that you're standing right there in front of them and sharing parts about yourself that normally a person would not do at someone's doorstep. So. Right. I can also imagine that it takes a subject that sort of can sound abstract, like homosexuality, which mm -hmm. sounds like this 
big thing that could be threatening to somebody. And then it becomes you there trembling in your shoes saying, <laughs> I'm nervous. And all of a sudden, you're not threatening at all. You're yeah. just real. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's, it's sort of tough to... I mean, you, every time, and I do this a lot, I've knocked on a whole lot of doors since then. I bet. A lot of doors. And there is every single time someone opens the door up to answer it, there's that moment where you're like, oh my God, I'm standing here asking them to validate who I am as a human being. I have to have thousands of these conversations with total strangers to sort mm -hmm. of get permission to be treated as a fully human person. And it always kind of takes my breath away right before I sort of introduce myself it, it never it's never changed in all the years that I've done this and all the thousands of doors that I've knocked on there is always that moment right before the door opens where you sort of your heart is in your throat you start breathing a little bit they open the door you take a breath and then you go for it but you it's it's uh and then and then when the conversation is over you walk away feeling really empowered because you no matter get, what well, you, yeah absolutely I get I, I'm lending my I'm giving my voice not just for me, but for the whole community. I'm giving us a voice. So even if that person doesn't validate <clears throat> Which you, it happens a lot. I am sure it, it does. It happens a lot. It still is empowering. It really is. Because it's sort of like you knock on this door, and even if you walk away, I think you've just said to them, I'm not going away, and we're not going away. We are going to keep knocking on your door until you either change your mind or we find enough people to, to, to take care of this so that I don't have to come back here again. But I think it sort of sends a message that, you know, every time, every time we knock on a door, it's sort of like it takes us further and further out of the closet. Yeah. And we're, and we're staying out. Yeah. And, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's really... Because in a way, it seems to me, you're not really asking that person to validate you. You are affirming yourself. A absolutely. Oh, and that's what it becomes. I mean, you think... That's, uh, there's a huge difference between the time the door opens and the time the door closes. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. in the beginning before the door opens. You when the do, heart is pounding. Yeah. It's yeah. really, it's, it's a real, ex, it's just a, an extraordinary experience. I mean, I think I, I would love everyone just to take one day yeah. and go out there with us because it's really something. To, it's really something to do this. And then, and then, you know, the best part is always one of the things that we do is, you know, we'll have a big training before we go and knock on doors. We'll go out and do that. And then we'll come back as a group and really kind of debrief what happened. And, and you know, the, the expressions on the faces of the volunteers when they leave, they're like that deer in the headlights. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm about to do this. And mm. then when they get back, it, they walk differently. Mm. They, their shoulders are higher and they're just feeling it it's a beautiful thing to watch and i think aside from the fact that we're doing what we have to do to get enough voters to support us i think we're also empowering a community that has been you know repressed for so very long and really told to be quiet about it you know i, I mean even those that kind of turn the other way are just like look i don't care what you do i just don't want to talk about it i don't want to see it i don't want you to i don't want it to be like in my face yeah and so you know, right. so it's nice. You're it's, saying it's we're great. not going. We're not going away. No, here. that's right. We are so not Deal going with us. away. <laughs> we are so not going away. Yeah. So in a way, it <clears throat> reminds me as I'm hearing you there, standing on the doorstep, picturing you. I'm thinking about your initial coming out. You know, yeah. When you first, I'm, maybe even to your family. Oh God. <laughs> and I wonder if you might tell me how did that go? Um, <laughs> it was a very long time ago. I was. Uh, God, actually, actually, the way, the exact way that the conversation, I was actually dating someone who had a, a child and we were like a family unit. It was very obvious 
I would bring them home for like birthdays and holidays and, and yet never explicitly say, okay, this is my girlfriend and this is right. her son. Right. Um, and then one day I was getting ready to go. I was working at the mall, actually bartending at this restaurant called Winchester's. And I was getting ready to drive from Shapley where I was, was staying with my parents. I was standing in front of the mirror and my mother sort of just came in and said, I need to ask you about this, this woman and what is your relationship with her? And she just kind of confronted me with it. I'm like, oh my God. So your mother in some ways was quite courageous. Well, sure. She yeah, was I saying, mean, I'm not going to yeah. tiptoe and avoid. It was a really hard conversation. I, I was really late for work that day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, like the, I think the way that conversation ended that day was, okay, I, you know, first of all, did something happen to you to make you this way? I mean, and remember, this is 19, like, this was is like 1987 fault? or 1988. Okay. Um, and we sort of got th through to the place where it's like, no, nothing happened. This is just when you how say it that. Do you, do you mean was she saying, did I do? Yeah, something? or d I, I think a lot of people make an assumption that you must have had some traumatic experience as a child that made you this way. Like, were you, you right. know, whatever? Sexually assaulted sure. by a man. Say. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, and and I think particularly back then. Um, when we weren't really talking about being gay, right. that uh, there were a lot of, there were just a lot of big assumptions. And so she made all of those and I reassured her that, no, I think I was, I think I was gay when I was born I, and mm -hmm. I absolutely was. There's no, I think I knew when I was just, when I was old enough to put the thoughts together, there's no doubt in my mind that it's yeah. just always been that way. I can imagine that was a relief <clears throat> for her. Uh, well, not at first. I think, oh, no? no, no. At first it was like, you can never bring her here again. And it, it took years oh. and years and years. I mean, it took, it took probably 20 years for them to, for, for both of my parents to kind of really embrace it. And they were great. I mean, when I would bring uh, partners home, they were really, they tried really hard and they bought the Christmas presents and they did the birthdays and they did what they were supposed to do, but we did not talk about it ever. And it wasn't, I think, until I started working for Equality Maine when it became, when I became very, very visible, um, just not in my community, but in the larger, in the, in the political community. You became community. a public figure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they had no choice but to look at it head on mm. because I'm on television and I'm in the newspaper and my name is out there and, you know, they're coming out as my parents. Um, right. But after, then suddenly they just they just kind of got there with it and it was really it's been a beautiful thing ever since I mean, they're they're really supportive My mother is like, you know, I mean, she's amazing She has just been a seriously strong ally and a great support system and probably my biggest cheerleader So it's been really great. It's a wonderful story to hear and the, you know, it takes time for some oh, people. man it took a long time. It took a really long time. I think right. we're there. It sounds like we're you there. are there. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space. And I'm talking to Darlene Huntress about the freedom to marry. So I want to switch gears now sure. to talk about marriage sure. and to ask you, what makes marriage important to you? Well, I think, I think it's important. I think there's a whole lot of levels to this. I mean, I think for me, it all starts with, it goes right back to the humanity piece. It's sort of like, you know, our relationships are as valid and important and loving and committed and they are just the same. Yeah. They are exactly the same. And when you when you don't allow us to, you know, marriage is, is this sort of thing that comes both with a lot of protections um, legally, but also a social value, a community value that says your relation, you know, we are so committed right. and we are so, we're, we're in for the long haul and we're making this this very 
this very um, it's the it's the it's the biggest thing you can do for lots of people. Now, I know that it's not for everyone. And I always say we are not the law is not about mandatory marriage. We're not going to force everybody to get married. But it's it's sort of it's just sort of a cornerstone. And and when I look at the relation, when I look at the people that I work with every day, there are there are um, activists out there who I work with who have been in, in a relationship for decades and they have managed to navigate all the normal obstacles that you have to navigate in a relationship anyway. And they've done it with grace and they've done it in, in the same ways that everyone else does. But they've done it with extraordinary challenges because they don't have the protections or they don't have that like, OK, we're married. And that it, it just it just means something, I think, to to the people who are married and to the community that um, that they are a part of. I always wonder, like, what if my parents had never married? My parents have been married for over 50 years, and they are a huge part of their community, and they are looked at by their community as as role models. But how would they have been looked at for all of these 50 years if they had just decided to never get married? People would look at that relationship and question it. They would look at that relationship and say, something's funky about Fred and Georgie because they never got married. Why is that? Right. You know, they I wouldn't mean, be considered pillars of the community. Well, in the same it just way. it just it just it adds a level of respect and dignity to your relationship that I think I think I think same sex couples absolutely deserve that. Yeah. And and I think until we get it, we are always going to be regarded as second class citizens and our relationships are going to be devalued by, you know, and by just the say the, the no vote predominates in November. Yes. And the law stands. Yeah. Um, how powerful do you think it will be in really combating homophobia? Oh my God! I mean, I think it's. I think, I think the whole nation is is watching our state right now. I mean, we did something that's never been done before when we passed this law to begin with. Governor, when you say that, what do you mean? Well, governor, we we passed a marriage law through the legislature and had our governor sign it. That has never happened in in any state. And if we are able to defend this in November, it will be the first state to to su- successfully do that. And I think if we do it it completely changes the climate across the country because we will show people it can be done. I mean, we've tried to do this 34 times in this country and we have lost 34 times. In 34 different states? Yeah, or 34 different states have voted on this, uh, have asked for a popular vote yeah. on this issue and we've lost every single one of them. You know, one of the guests I had talking about this a couple of weeks ago, Marshall Forstein was saying, you know, with the establishment of the U.S. government, there was th- the system of checks and balances was about trying to protect the minority mm-hmm. from the tyranny of the majority, precisely for this yeah. reason that any minority group is vulnerable when it comes to a popular referendum. Mm-hmm. And our and our community has it's it's almost like it's it's what we've had to do every single time. It's incredible to me that uh, I, I try to imagine this happening in any other to any other minority and and the outcry and the outrage that would occur. It would be ridiculous. Right. I mean, the Equal Rights Amendment failed. Oh, come failed. on. Same come deal. on. You know, but, right. but it's sort of like this happens and, and it's with a blink and people are like, yeah, you know, it, the voters should decide. The people should decide. And it's crazy to me. But you know what? It's our reality. The bottom line is that's where we are. That's we are where we're facing at. this. And so you look at where you're at. You're water around the rock. You do what you have to do. And that's what we're doing. But, yes. Um, so and is Maine. So we're the. If we do this, we'll be the only state to have done it. Yeah. Is there something different about Maine that makes it more likely for well, us I to think pass it? it? It's you know, if you look at like California, where where this was put up to a popular vote in November, it, the, the differences are amazing. I mean, the scale here is so much smaller. 
um, in California, you know, 25, there were millions of people voting. Here, we have to have conversations with a couple hundred thousand people, and we can do that. You know, the scale is small enough that, that I think we're able to have those one-on-one conversations that we need to have. We've been working really, really hard in Maine for the last five years to set ourselves up for this moment. I mean, we had a plan, and we, and we worked that plan, and we got ourselves positioned in a way that I think, I think we're a better positioned than any other state has ever been. So um, I think it's really, I think it's very, very possible here. I really do. I would not be, I would not be doing this if I didn't think there was a great shot of us actually getting it done. So I'm excited. I'm excited, yeah, too. it's going to be good. We're going to take a, a sure. brief musical break. We'll be right back with more of Darlene Huntress on The Freedom to Marry. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann. This is Safe Space. And I'm talking to Darlene Huntress about the freedom to marry in Maine. And we're talking about the impact of this law, assuming it will stand, um, on homophobia. And I especially want to talk about the impact on kids, both kids who are coming out themselves or questioning their own sexuality, as well as the kids who have lesbian and gay parents. Sure. And I wonder, how. what's your sense of that? Well, I think, let's start with, with uh, LGBT kids. I think it's huge. I really, really do. I think, um, I think back to my own experience. You know, you are, everything about what we learn as children, the books that we read, the movies that we watch, it's so, many, so much of the theme is around, you know, we all have the ability to fall in love. It's sort of like our birthright is to fall in love, to find that person, and to marry them. And you dream about those things when you're a kid. You just do. It's just what you think about. Well, the fairy tales for girls Abs- are so much about marriage. Absolutely. And when you, when you come to that realization that you are not like all the other kids, you are effectively told, well, it's, it, this, this is something for everyone but you. Mm. And it's devastating. I mean, I, I remember we, we did these... Um, we did these in-district meetings uh, in the, when we were in the legislative campaign where we would ask folks from certain constituencies to get together with their legislator and talk to them about why marriage was important to them. And we had this young woman who was 17 who really wanted to participate in this. And I was nervous. I'm like, what? You know, I, I had that own sort of like, well, what's a 17-year-old going to know about what it means to be married? Which was ridiculous because I was 17 once, too, and I remember very clearly how that felt and how it felt to be shut off from that. And, sh- and so we said, sure, let's do it. And so she got, there, she got there and she started to speak to this legislator. And she said, you know, I'm really, really lucky because I, I came out to my parents when I was 13. They're really supportive. I have a family that's really supportive. I have a community that is, and I have taken my good fortune. And, I have, and I, what, what she was doing was mentoring other young LGBT people who are just coming out. And she said, every day I have conversations with these kids and I say, you know, it's okay because society has changed and we are accepted and, and it's, it's so much easier 
to be gay now. And she looks at this legislator and she said, but that's a lie. I'm lying to them. I am literally lying to them because, because I have to, they can't get married. They, they, they can't have that fairy tale or whatever it is. And we all know it's not a fairy tale. It's a reality. But they, that, they don't have access to that. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, it, it really, de- I, I keep saying devalues because that's what it is. It's such a devaluing thing to be considered someone who's just not quite good enough. And who doesn't deserve, who doesn't deserve that, that dream. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just want every 16-year-old gay kid to know, if I fall in love, that is, I have that avenue. I can dream that same dream that every other kid next to me does. I just want them to have that. Will they choose it? I don't know. That's not right. up to me. <laughs> right. But I just want them to know it's there. Right. I mean, for me as a psychiatrist... <clears throat> Knowing that the rates of suicide attempts Absolutely. and addiction are so much higher among gay adolescents. Well, gee, and you this wonder why. It's a huge piece of it. It's a you huge know? piece of it. And I think for kids who's, who are from gay and lesbian who have same sex parents, it just seems so obvious to me the answer is that, you know, again, um, I, I think that for children, when their parents are married, there's security in that. My mom and dad are married, and and you know you immediately isolate an entire population of children who are being raised by same-sex parents, raised really well, I might add, it, with with lots of obstacles in their way, and you literally separate them from everyone else, and mm-hmm. and kids ask their parents. I, I mean, we we work enough with with um with same-sex parents that, that we know the kind of conversations their kids have with them. It's like you know, why can't you get married? You love each other. You know, you should be able to get married just like everyone else. And what do you say? What do you say to your kid who's like, I think you should be able to get married? You know, that's a really tough conversation to have. And the fact of the matter is our, our opponents have these talking points about how marriage is good for kids. You know, like, like it really is good for kids. And my answer is, listen, if it's good for kids of straight families, it's, it's good, good for, for kids, kids of <laughs> all families. And so let's not throw that out there like... You know, that's just one more reason why we ought to have it available. Well, why would the idea that marriage is good for kids be uh, a talking point for the opposition? Well, because it's because marriage is between a man and a woman. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous argument. It's right, because it seems to actually argu- support your position. I, oh, a lot of the things they say actually support our position. But, you know, they I they really do. I, I mean, see. you know, Michael Heath is a, he's one of the guys that's really, really vocal. And he always says, you know, that the problem is that um, it, you know, it's against it's against God's belief that you should have sex outside of marriage. I was like, right. well, fine. <laughs> like, Let us get married then. then. We're good to go. Like, <laughs> right. Like, I don't get it. But right. Man, oh, man. So I heard a recent statistic <clears throat> that if we go out and we talk to people about this, um, the likelihood is that we could help change the minds of four to six percent. Yeah, that's true. Which initially sounds kind of discouraging. Sure. But then it's like, well, actually, if we change, if four to six percent of people who might be voting yes would change their mind to voting no, so we're going to win by four to six percent. So that's the key. We're going to win by two percent. Right. So, you so know, it turns out that absolutely. that's everything rides on four to six. Oh man, does it? So tell me, what are the things that help th- those four to six percent whose hearts can be moved? What does it? Well, you know, we train our volunteers to when they get to that door and they ask that question, do, you know, do you believe it? Do you believe in marriage for same-sex couples? And, you know, essentially, would you vote to to overturn that law in November? And if they say, if they're undecided, well, I don't really know how I feel about it, or no, I think I'm against it, the question that we ask them is, well, what's holding you back? 
you know, what, what is it about this that's stopping you? And, and you begin to have a conversation with them. And a lot of times it's really, it's really basic things. Like it's their religion and you can talk through that pretty easily and say, this is not about religious marriage. It's about civil marriage. And you can make that case that, you know, um, this is, this is definitely a a separation of church and state. And let's talk about that. Or sometimes it's about kids. And, and, and the trick is, I think the real trick in this is, is that you get people standing at the door, you get volunteers who care about this, who have a stake in this issue, whether they are part of the LGBT community, whether they are allies or they have gay kids or what, there is something in them that really moves them to participate in this. And we always say, get to the door, ask the question, and then have, have your own heart, to, you know, speak from your heart. You are your own expert. And I mm-hmm. just think it just, it's just human nature that once we start allowing each other to talk back and forth instead of at each other, and we've never done that before, right? We've, we've, always, we've always faced our opposition and said, I'm right and you're wrong. And we sort of argued around all of that. But once you allow a conversation to start and really listen, really listen to what the person is saying and respond to that with, with what you know in your heart, I'm telling you it works. I mean, we've done it. And, and at the end of every canvas, we come back in the room and we do numbers and we, and we say, okay, so how many of y'all started with somebody who was like a five, which is the worst you can be, and you moved them to like a three. And, and it, it literally every single time, every volunteer raises their hand and it's happened at least twice. And so we'll go back to that person again and again and again until November. We will find see, that So you person. identify that person. Yeah, you work they, them. <laughs> they are now in our database. So, uh, and we'll go back and we'll have a different conversation with them. Um, and it's, I mean, I think particularly with this issue, it really is about, it really is about face to face. It really is about putting a face on this issue so that people can see we are human beings just like you are. You know, right. I'm not scary. I'm, I'm not, not scary. I'm really not dangerous. <laughs> yeah, know? I'm not into. I'm not into some kind of weird thing. No, I'm so. I'm so boring. It's right. like, come on. There is nothing that's interesting that 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 is different than than any other person. What intrigues me also about what you're saying is that rather than it being a really strong, like trying hard to be persuasive and having your talking points, what you're really stressing is listening. Yeah. Well, that's like 75 percent of it. Because because people, the other thing that you're doing is you're allowing them to think through this. I mean, no one, it, it's very unlikely that anyone has ever asked them what they really think about this. You know, it's very unlikely that they have been able to give you, give someone an answer and then have that person say, well, what's holding you back? And so, I mean, we watch people. We literally watch them go through the process of thinking out loud. And they get to this place almost always. Like, I think a very typical conversation is, you know... I mean, I kind of think you should have the same rights. I don't think you should call it marriage, but I'm not even sure why that is. And, you know, you already have the law, so why would I want to take it away? You see them literally take themselves to that next place. And and no one's ever asked, you know, people don't ask you that question, and we do, and we listen, and we affirm, and we do all the things that you're supposed to do. And, you know, a lot, I mean, it doesn't always work. Of course. And it can't possibly always work, but it is, I think we're, I think we can move enough people. The other thing that intrigues me about what you said is that when someone has a religious reason Mm. that you don't actually talk religion with them, you don't actually argue about their theology. Absolutely not. But what you do is make it clear that 
if they belong to a church that's that's against us, then they can keep being in that church and the church can keep being against it. That's it's right. not about that. That's absolutely right. I mean, it's right on the referendum question. You know, it was right. right. It was part of the it was part of the bill to affirm religious freedom. And so when somebody brings that piece of it, you you're like, you know, I get that. I totally get that. I totally get that your religion is really important to you and that it determines a lot of the ways that you live your life. Um, and, and we do not have any intention of, of, of t- taking that away from you, that we are not forcing churches ever to open their doors to us. There are plenty that will, and we're really happy about that, and we appreciate that. But this is not about your church. This is about our lives. And, and, and get them to see that those are not, they're two very, very different things. It's very helpful, I think. Right. It, it helps people calm down about their opposition. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to change my belief system. That's right. And, and the great thing is we don't have to lie at the door. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I mean, and I really, I mean that. I mean, I see people out there collecting signatures for this petition and, and they are lying about what they're doing. They're, what do you mean? Well, you know, they'll, 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 they'll tell folks, if you sign this, if you, if you believe in same-sex marriage, you got to sign this so we can vote on it and make sure it stays a law. And that's just, it's a lie. And so what I always say to our volunteers is we have the truth on our side. We don't have to go out and blatantly lie to people. We just have to tell them the truth and, and talk to them about who we are. And that will be enough. That will move enough people for us to get to the other side of this. Yeah. So we're going to have to stop in a minute, Darlene. I want to ask for people who are listening and who care about this and want to help. What's the best way for people to get involved? Well, we are about to transition. I mean, we are now the, the main Freedom to Marry campaign, and we are about to unlaunch, unveil, uh, unlaunch, <laughs> unveil a new website. Um, it is going to be uh, www.freedomtomarry.org. It's not up yet, though, so we're sending folks to Equality Maine's website. Okay. They can they can learn how to get involved there. What's Equality Maine's website? It's EqualityMaine.org. And, and it's what will N-A-I-N-E, happen? Right. Yep. Yeah, and what will happen as soon as we launch the new website? It will just if you if you hit our if you hit our URL, it'll just direct you to the new website. So I would tell folks just to go to a quality main a website for now, um, to, and to find out. They can give what they, money there. Absolutely, they can, they can volunteer, volunteer there. Yes, ma'am. Okay, <laughs> we would like it if they did. And if somebody if somebody really wants to understand more about the gay experience in America, really just wants to learn more about it from a personal standpoint. Is there a resource or a book that really meant a lot to you that you would recommend for people to read? Um. Okay, the book, my book, my book, the one that really like I want to know about Darlene's your book. Was yes, uh, Jeanette Winterson. Um, Oranges are not the only fruit. It was like it changed. It rocked my world. It Wonderful. rocked my world. It was about a a young woman who was an evangelical Christian and also coming out at the same time. And it just really was a lot of. It was just I could really relate to it. So I would say that changed my. So she life. really took on that personal struggle. Oh my God, it's a great book, Darlene. Great thank book. you so much. Oh, thank it's been you. a pleasure to have yeah, you on Safe Space. My thanks to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound and Maurice Leonard for the music. If you have a request or a suggestion for a topic for a future show, please email me at drnwmpg at at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Uh, my, next week will be my last show in this series on homophobia. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison. <laughs>